It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. In this episode, some new warnings for you if you have a leased car or you're trying to buy a car. There are some dealers that are dirty dealing. Most dealers, honest, decent, but there's some dirty dealing out there. I want you to know what dirt you got to watch out for. Also, now that we're past Thanksgiving, it's go time for holiday shopping. I'm going to tell you how to find the best deals online. So there's some really terrible, terrible stuff that some car dealers are doing that is despicable. There's no enforcement going on, even though they are lawbreakers. Let me tell you the scoop. All right. So a lot of people who leased cars back in 19 or 18, they're now at the end of their leases and you don't want to turn that lease back in. Even if you don't want to keep the car, you don't want to turn that lease back in. Because even though I've been telling you that used vehicle prices after going up like a rocket are trending down month by month by month by month, they're still greatly inflated. So the values that were stated, what are known as residuals in auto leases three, four years ago, were for much lower than what that vehicle is now worth in the marketplace. Well, your lease says by contract what you have to pay to buy your vehicle out at the end of the lease. Why you have to pay a junk fee anyway is beyond me, but there's usually a small junk fee, uh, $150, $200, bucks, something like that. Well, with some auto leases, you just pay off whoever the lender is who financed the lease. With other leases, you have to go back to the dealer where you originally leased the vehicle, and they process that paperwork, and I guess the junk fee goes to them for handling the then buyout by you of the vehicle at the end of the lease. Well, what's happening, and I saw a story in the Florida Sun Sentinel, this has happened to a lot of people in the state of Florida, I know it's happened in other states as well, that the dealer then says, hey, we don't care what you have in that contract. If you expect that we're going to let you buy your vehicle out as your contract allows, you're going to have to pay us thousands of dollars because you're costing us all that money with us not being able to have that vehicle and then resell it at a big markup. Illegal, 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 crooked, dirty. And what you do is you try to get that dealer putting that garbage in writing. And then I'm going to tell you something you might roll over laughing. But the State Automobile Dealers Association, in the worst way, does not want to have additional regulation or enforcement from the state. And very few people know to even do this. You contact the state chapter of the Automobile Dealers Association and you say, I'm having a problem with this member dealer. Can I have some help? And surprisingly, the dealer who's trying to cheat you out of thousands of dollars may then say, okay, yeah, we're going to do it right. 
because you can contact state regulators and do it before the dealer licensing board or whatever the equivalent is in whatever state you live in that you're trying to turn in the lease. You contact them before, not after the dealer ripped you off. You contact the leasing company or bank that the lease is through. And the best card to play, if any local television station has an investigative reporter, they may be willing to do a story about it. Now, I say may, even though normally that would be low-hanging fruit for an investigative reporter. Some TV stations censor stories that are negative to car dealers if they're a big advertiser category for that station. It shouldn't be that way, but sometimes it is. But you try all these things rather than be ripped off for money you're not supposed to have to pay. And you paper the dealer over. You just don't talk to them. You send them a certified letter. And you say in that certified letter that they are violating the terms of your lease. The last thing they want is somebody who is on their game and not going to roll over and play dead when a dealer tries to steal thousands of dollars from you. Don't do it. Okay, got another thing for you. Again, this is not every car dealer. I must point that out. There are dealers that do business honest, decently, and above board, and there are dealers that play dirty. And this is really dirty, and this is going on all over America. There was a long-form story about this in the Detroit Free Press, which follows the automotive industry more than anybody else. Okay, so you go to a dealer website, or you go to a website like Auto Trader or whatever, and they will list at that dealer new vehicles for sale, or they'll say they're on the way. And the investigation by the Detroit Free Press found that over and over again, crooked dealers are listing a vehicle that actually does not exist to try to get you into the store, get you to post a deposit for whatever you want that you may have to wait for forever, or they may try to bait and switch you into something else that they have on their lot, could be a used one or whatever. Know that the Phantom listing is a big, big problem with some car dealers right now. When they tell you that a vehicle is in their inventory or is on the way, and let's say you drive to the dealer because they say in inventory they got a whatever that you want to buy, and you get there and they say, oh, I'm sorry, that's sold. Okay. I was actually familiar with this because this happened to me last year. I called and said, hey, do you have, I see this on your website, do you have this in inventory? I said, they said, yes. And it was an anniversary gift from my wife. And so I drove to the dealer, got there. They said, oh, I'm sorry, that's already sold. Well, turned out that that vehicle was all made up. I was like, wow, that's weird. People aren't really doing stuff like that. And then I opened up the Detroit Free Press, and there it is, right there in living color, that this is a problem going on at dealerships. Again, Krista, we get so many complaints about car dealers, car repair, everything with cars. I want you to know 
in spite of what you hear, and there are bad players in the business, I truly believe in my heart of hearts, most dealers, most repair shops are doing what they're supposed to do and doing business the right way. Totally. All right. Well, we have a couple of car questions. This is from Bill in New York. I'm considering purchasing a new vehicle soon. For years, I've always purchased used vehicles and then paid them off within two to three years. And on average, they last 10 to 12 years. Like most people, I dread dealing with the car sales process. What is your take on using a flat fee independent car sales broker? Would you recommend any to use and those to avoid? So I don't know that it's so local, you have to find by reputation someone who does this for a living. But I do want you to know that there's an anomaly right now in the used vehicle market that there is a big potential advantage using a car broker. Usually there are people who used to work as a sales manager at a used car lot or new vehicle lot, or they were a longtime salesperson. They decided to go out on their own. So they can go to the auctions. They know how to check out the vehicles, hopefully. And they can buy it at wholesale. You pay their markup. The advantage right now is dealers are stuck with all the used vehicles they have on their lots are depreciating. And a lot of dealers kind of have their backs up against the wall because they paid at what the prices were at wholesale that have now declined. And they don't know what to do because they're between a rock and a hard place. Do they cut their losses, take a loss on those vehicles and move them, or they sit and hope that somebody will come along and it'll pay too much for them. So the way you short circuit that is you use a independent broker who goes to the auction, buys a vehicle, but it is an area that is strictly reputational and local to find somebody who is going to be okay to use for that purpose. And it will squeeze a lot of money right now out of the purchase of a used vehicle. This is from Doug in Alabama. I'm a seven-time car buyer who never considered a lease in the past. Now I'm considering one due to the following factors. Number one, I have enough equity in my current truck to cover the do-it signing and get $3,000 cash back. Number two, my monthly payment would decrease by $190 a month. This might be more than the equity I'm gaining of 72 months. And number three, I believe vehicles to be so overpriced that in three years, prices will be more reasonable. And four, if the car market does crash, I will lose my equity overnight. I'm concerned about the mileage, but assuming that I manage that, what do you think? Okay, so unless a manufacturer itself, Doug, and it would have to be a manufacturer's own published subsidized lease, unless they are subsidizing the purchase of that vehicle, of that truck, the leasing market has taken into account exactly what you fear. Okay, prices have been inflated on new vehicles, number one. Number two, they are devaluing the residual for years down the road because they just, like you, expect values of vehicles to decline from the crazy heights they've been at lately. So unless it is specifically the manufacturer offering a deal on that lease, not the dealer, not somebody else. It has to be the manufacturer's own deal where they're advertising on TV. You know, we got this lease right now, so much per month, so much down, blah, blah, blah. And it's a Ford ad, a, a GM Chevy ad, or a Dodge ad. 
unless it's their own national ad, then you can't trust that that's a deal. If there is a manufacturer's subsidy, then you could do this. But the reality is the huge markups that were happening on so many vehicles, new vehicles, are steadily going away. Some brands are still there more than others, but those big, big markups that most manufacturers, dealers were getting on new inventory, they have mostly evaporated. And on more and more vehicles, people are now getting discounts again below manufacturer suggested retail. So, what you said may have been very valid six months ago, not as much now. Michael and Georgia says, I'm interested in working for a company that has an ESOP ownership structure. What is Clark's opinion of these in general? I know purchasing stock within the company you work for is generally an unwise choice, but what about a system where stock is given to you without you having to put any money in? Also, if it's an okay decision, how much should I count on it for retirement? Yeah. So you're putting all your eggs in a basket there with that one employer. But if an employer is throwing employee stock ownership at you, with very little money from you. I've done these before when I worked for an employer that had this, and they did four different offerings. I did all four, and I did them to the max that each were offered. And the first two, I made ridiculous money on, and then got a second benefit because then I gave all the money to charity, which worked for me. And then the next one, I ended up losing a little money on the third one. And the fourth one was really terrible. And uh, it was a money loser. So it's all how that organization is doing when you do an ESOP. And so it needs to be ancillary to what you're doing to save for retirement. It is, uh, I would think of it almost like a supplemental non-guaranteed retirement plan. So you don't expect that it's going to fund your retirement. You're lucky if you do really well with it. And I think about where this is most common, Krista, with tech firms, how many people's options are expiring underwater right now? Because there are various versions of how this works, that the tech firms were going all the way to the sky, and now their stocks are coming way down. And the lure of those options is what brought people, in many cases, to those jobs, and now the money's not there. So this has to be like, wouldn't this be nice category, not what you count on? And I want to tell you, coming straight ahead, we got to talk about we're past the waves of the greatest sales for Christmas shopping. And if you haven't gotten around to fulfilling your wish list yet for people, How are you going to get that done and still save money? We're going to talk about that. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. 
Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So a lot of people don't really get into the whole Christmas shopping thing. And it's something you get around to. And a lot of people wait till December. Well, December the retailers know are the reluctant shoppers and the reluctant shoppers get both the worst deals mostly and the very best deals. The things that were unloved go on their deepest clearance as we march through December, but most stuff is more expensive. So how do you turn back the clock on pricing? Let's talk about online. Uh, Number one thing is you've got to be experimental because you never know which of these things I'm going to tell you will work with which retailer. Okay, first thing, and this, you're going to say, oh, everybody knows that. You'd be surprised how many people don't know. You put an item in your cart and then abandon your shopping cart. So there's something you're interested in. You put it in there and you just go away. Well, the retailer, more often than not, will then circle back with a coupon code by text or email or whatever to try to get you to go back to that abandoned cart and buy the item. I wasn't even trying this as a strategy recently, and I abandoned something on Amazon, and I then got a message that they were offering me a 30% off coupon if I went ahead and bought it. I was like, wow. And because it just seemed too expensive, and that's why I had abandoned my cart. I wasn't trying the strategy, but then there it was. It worked. And you don't know if that'll work or not, but you very well might get a message like that. Something else you should know is that trying a private browsing session on whatever browser you use, whatever they call it, may get you a different price depending on the retailer than you would get otherwise. Because retailers, many of the sophisticated ones, develop dossiers on you, basically electronic dossiers, and they know if you're somebody who is hyper-loyal to the brand, you're not going to get the discounts to someone who's playing harder to get. And so doing a search where it's a private browse versus where they already know you may actually generate a lower price. You just try it. Now, let's go. The other strategy is where you join email lists or you may get lower prices if you download an app for a retailer. They may have a loyalty program that's free. You have to be pretty dedicated to a retailer to join one where you have to pay. But I'm seeing this Christmas season more opportunities where a retailer through the app will offer you a better deal than they do at their website. And again, this is throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. But one thing that's clear right now, and that is when you're shopping online and it's a place that also has physical stores, if it's not too inconvenient for you, do store pickup. You may get a lower price. You'll actually get the merchandise. If you're relying between now and Christmas on UPS, FedEx, and the Postal Service, 
to get stuff to you on time? Well, maybe, maybe not. There's such a problem for as hard as the package delivery services work on trying to improve their reliability during peak demand times like the holidays, they have a hard time. Plus, retailers have to pay much higher rates for shipping things to you to the carriers during the Christmas shopping season than they do the rest of the year. So there may be an incentive for you for doing store pickup. And I've got a lot of information for you on Clark.com on other strategies to get the best prices shopping online. And I want you to get the best deal. But over and over again, I'm big into the click and collect where I buy online, pick up in person, because then I know I've got the goods and I don't have to worry about it going UFO on me. No, also, I'm going to mention something I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, but if you didn't hear that podcast, I want you to be aware, a lot of retailers, both in person and shopping online, have changed their return policies, and they are making it more difficult, many of them, to return goods or certain categories of goods. So it's really key before you buy something for yourself, or most especially when you're buying something as a gift for someone, that you know what their rights are, or your rights if it's for you, to return that item for a refund or return it at all. Krista? All right, this is How far are you through your Christmas shopping? I'm done. Show off. (laughs) What month did you start? I started in... Early October, so. Because October was the new November this year. It was, it was. I listened to you. All right, and our deals team, Clark Deals team, they're awesome. Richmond in Texas says, I have two boys, four and 10 years old. I recently started funding 529s for both. I have two rental single family homes. Should I stop funding the 529s and pay extra on my rentals so that by the time my 10 year old graduates from high school, at least one of the rentals will be paid off and I can cash flow the college? Interesting question from you, Richmond. Uh, So if you've had these rental properties for any period of time, even though you have to pay more on an investment property as an interest rate than a primary residence, odds are you're locked in at very low mortgage rates. So don't bother prepaying on those mortgages. Instead, fund those 529 plans. It gives you more flexibility later when your kids are going to college Yet the money in the 529 grows tax-free. You spend it tax-free on eligible college expenses. So I would make that a priority. And with a 10-year-old, you got only, depending on when your 10-year-old graduates from high school, you got seven, eight, nine years till college coming up. So you don't have a lot of time to build up that 529. I would make that a priority. Vivek in Michigan says, I had my credit frozen with all three bureaus since January of 2021. Last month, I got an email from a big bank that a checking account was opened under my name. I called them and they verified there was an account open. They immediately closed the account and asked me to put a security alert by calling check systems. I was not aware that anyone can still open an account with a compromised social security number, even if credit is frozen. Apparently, hackers use these fake bank accounts to move fraudulent money. Is there anything else I need to do? So 
first the great news, and in this case, I should name the bank sure. because they did their job. It was Bank of America. Uh, you may have been an existing customer of Bank of America. They notified you. You were able to shut this down cold right away. So good job, B of A, which I don't say a lot about a giant monster mega bank. There are the equivalent of credit bureaus, dossier builders, for so many different purposes, so many different things. You would go crazy trying to freeze your file at all these different places. Check systems is one that a lot of banks and credit unions use to verify that you're A-OK as a banking customer, and they have no cooperative relationship with Equifax, TransUnion, Experian. So the credit freezes you put in place aren't going to help you with check systems. And I could give example after example of relatively, in the scheme of things, dossier builders that could end up being a hassle for you if a criminal goes around things that the three major credit bureaus are involved in. So you have done the right thing now by letting check systems know that you have had a problem and they'll be more careful verifying before establishing an account for somebody with a bank or credit union. And you've done the most important thing because the greatest risk of identity theft involve forms of credit. And that's where the three major credit bureaus come front and center. I mean, there are others involving apartments and all different things. There are these, uh, let's call them minor credit bureaus, if you will. And uh, just, just do, if I could just get people to do what you did and freeze their credit bureau files with the three major credit bureaus, I would say it would be a good day because it's hard to get people to do even that. And then if I start saying, well, you know, while you're at it, you should do this one and that one and the other one, people shut down and don't do anything. And from Rhonda in Alabama, I have a 2017 truck and need advice on how much liability I need to have on car insurance. I'm a 26-year-old renting a home and have a good job. I do have a decent amount of savings. Okay, so this is a wonderful question, Rhonda, because 2017 truck still has value that you need collision and comprehensive. You can't afford to walk away from the value of a six-model-year-old truck. But the other thing is you have what I call a success tax. You're building up nice savings. Over time, you'll build net worth. And so going with state liability minimums, which are so ridiculously low, means that whatever you do have, someone who in some way you harm, like in an accident, could be wiped out in a judgment against you. So when you have nothing then you don't have to worry about it. State liability minimums are just fine. But you're starting to develop something. And especially when you buy a home instead of rent one, having good liability limit coverage on that home and on that vehicle you'll be driving, core and key to protecting the money you've worked so hard and equity that you've worked so hard to create to protect it from an unfortunate event. So... I didn't answer your question because it's a hard question to answer because I don't know how much money, you say decent amount in savings, that alone would mean that you want a hefty amount of liability coverage so you don't have to fret and worry that 
one time you look down at your phone and you cause an accident and somebody sees the next billboard for a lawyer and they're calling and suddenly your savings is wiped out. You want to make sure that you can cover the unexpected that we make mistakes. We do things that are our fault. We have a wreck. And so that's why you have the liability coverage. I'd say the number one area people cheap out on with auto insurance they should never is having adequate liability coverage in the event they have an oops. And I want to thank you so much for being with us. We're closing in closer and closer to Christmas. If you've heard my plea, you get to hear it again. If you have not, I ask you, please, do what you can, if you can afford to, if this matters to you, to help out a child in foster care this Christmas season. It's our 32nd year of Clark's Christmas Kids, where we get gifts for children in foster care who would not have Christmas gifts without your generosity. You want to see how it works, how you can help? Go to ClarksChristmasKids.com and have a great day. I hope you feel empowered and that you are taking charge of your financial future.